Hello and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Law, the Law Careers podcast for students at King's College London. I'm Caroline Lintner, one of the careers consultants for the Dixon Poon School of Law at King's, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Nigel Spencer. Nigel studied for a BA in Classics, followed by a PhD at King's, following an early academic career leading international interdisciplinary research projects exploring cultural change, identity and group dynamics, Nigel worked in professional services firms, initially in a client facing role at PricewaterhouseCoopers. He then held senior talent development roles at two international law firms, Simmons and Simmons and Reed Smith. Nigel is now Professor of Education, Innovation and Professional Practice at Queen Mary University of London. Thank you so much for joining me today, Nigel. It's wonderful to have you on board for this podcast. Oh, complete pleasure. Very good to be here, Caroline. Thank you. I guess the first thing I want to ask you, Nigel, is um, you know, about your current role. Can you explain it a little bit to us, please? Yes, of course. Um, well, as you as you mentioned, one one part of the job title is all about professional practice. And here at Queen Mary, there's a there's always been a very strong emphasis on practice in the law school. And so my role here is really to, to work on that and develop that. Um, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, for many years, there's been quite an advanced legal advice centre. So again, what do you have there? You have students really literally practising under supervision, obviously, because they're students. So you have people learning by doing, and that's a big emphasis here. Um, and one of the things I developed when I was back at Reed Smith, actually, which perhaps we'll come back to later, is again the idea of a practice focused degree back in 2013 to 14 where like sandwich course where you do your law degree but you spend the third year out at a law firm as well um, and that's grown over the years so again just i hope that gives a little bit of a flavor as i say that there's a very strong emphasis to practice hence now wanting to develop to develop more of those ideas and hence my role so that's um, that's really that's really the purpose Thank you. That's really helpful to to understand. And as you say, there's there's definitely been a lot of change within academia as well as in practice over the years. So let's talk about academia. So you you had uh, a few years at King's, um, and you actually ended up studying for a PhD. So so tell us why you did that, and and also what you learned from your academic life, which has perhaps proved to be useful in your career further down the line. So the first part of the question, Caroline, very good question. Why did I study for a PhD? Um, looking back now, 30 years or so, um, I think it was because I, there were some themes that I wanted to explore more. Uh, you know, I did my first degree in classics, as you said, um, and I'm so old that actually that was the time when that old witch train station still existed, which was literally under <laughs> on, on, on the strand there underneath the uh, classics common room, which I think is still the classics common room, actually, on, on the on the old witch part of the campus. Um, and, you know, I really enjoyed my first three years there, and I think it opened up some areas which I just wanted to look more at. So that's why I studied for the PhD. Um, and then linking to your second question of what did I learn perhaps from academic life, I guess one of those was linked very much to the period of the PhD because I was very, very lucky to have the opportunity to live abroad. So I went, um, so I moved from uh, from living in London to living in Athens, where there's a British school which you can, which acts as a research base, where if you're a student or an academic, you can go and stay. So I was very fortunate to spend two years there during the period of my PhD. And, and I guess what that throws you into then, going back to what I learned from some of that period, is I guess it takes you to a very different culture. And so it started my learning and my interest around you know, aspects such as the different cultures when you're working with people. Do people focus on tasks? Do they focus on relationships? How do you get projects done? How do you, in, how do you interact with something that's almost 
and uh, something very different and something that's an other another from you know the way you the place you culture you've grown up in for example and so and so that was that was very um very much something that I took away and just specifically on some of the projects I ran so luckily when I was a postdoc as well but the way I always viewed it when I was running these quite complex projects overseas in in Greece and Turkey was it was almost like running your own small business really and, and all the skills that go with that you know you have to project manage you had to do lots of writing you had to uh, manage the finances and the limited budgets we had you had to manage teams you have to think about the networks and relationships and all the stakeholders you had locally within the local government or local academics or the or the students you were working with and everything. So it was a really complex little organisation. And I guess some things I took away from that academic period were actually because of the type of thing I did, which was running those projects, were all the very practical sides of things, which I guess link in, you know, we'll come on to later, I'm sure, the competences for, for folk when they're working in business. But, you know, I, I think that's what I, I took away, really, Caroline, from a lot of that time. And that's really interesting. You mentioned there the practical skills, because it's something that I know us in the career service at King's do really encourage students to look at their non-academic activities. And it doesn't have to be a in the term, in, you know, with law in mind, it doesn't have to be a vacation scheme or an open day. It can actually be part of the student society. It can be working in retail or hospitality. And, and actually the responsibilities you're given there are highly transferable to any employer that you may end up at in the future. Um, and then let's move on then to, um, I guess, you know, we are a law podcast, so very interested to be talking about your, your time at Simmons and Simmons and Reed Smith. Um, and I, I guess, do you want to just explain what somebody at that level in learning and development actually does at a, at a law firm? You know, what, what's the role that you play on behalf of the partners and their business? That's a really good question. The way I always saw it was we were trying to help them deliver the strategy, really. Uh, in the sense that, you know, we had a strategy where we might focus around certain industry sectors and we had lots of clients in all those industry sectors, which might be technology or life sciences type clients or whatever the clients were. So my job really was to think, OK, with all the lawyers we've got in the business, how do we best upskill them so that they can deliver really effectively for all the things the clients are wanting us to do for them? So I was I always saw that the learning development role is really about being very aligned with what's going on in the business. So for example, you know, in the learning and development function, do you hear all the feedback that comes from clients? Because often you do, you know, the business or the marketing or BD function, business development function would do client feedback exercises. So that type of data is really useful because perhaps the clients would tell us as a firm, oh, you're really good at this and perhaps you could develop this skill set more. We'd like you to develop this. Now that type of data, again, you know, from the learning and development function was really important. So. I suppose I always thought it was in the learning development, yes, I was running the training courses and the, the, the induction programs for or running the partner leadership programs and trying to be innovative and, and, and work on those. But was I making the learning and development function close to the almost the external world, the client world, mm -hmm. that the lawyers were, were trying to deliver on Caroline? I think that's the way I always tried to see it, because then I think they would value the learning and development function more and also the type of and then they would also make the link between okay Nigel's suggesting it's a good idea we run this course or we go on this course oh, I get it that's because actually I've heard the client say to me I need to be better or I need to work well in this type of way with them so I try to almost keep the learning very relevant I guess Caroline mm. in that sense by linking it to the client's world yeah absolutely and uh, yeah as you say it's, it's thinking it back to what the business of a law firm actually does and the role yes. that lawyers have within that um so therefore you know rather uh, 
a rather broad question, but I'm going to ask you that anyway. In your <laughs> opinion, what do you think makes a successful lawyer? Yeah, see, that's that's a, that is a very interesting question, and obviously there are many different versions of that answer, many different types of legal service providers. It might be a big city firm, it might be you know a high street firm, you might be a barrister, you might be a solicitor. So there's all of those different different angles to that. Um, I'm going to go back to one of the themes that I just spoke about a little bit, and I'm going to say, yes, you're an expert, yes, you have lots of legal knowledge, but I think if you're going to be a really successful lawyer. There's only going to be value in your knowledge if you fit it to the client's world or the client's challenge. So what does that mean? It means you need to be really good at listening. You really need to be good at asking good questions because you need to understand. And, and that's the thing I think it's really important as a lawyer, you know, listen to understand. And then it's about applying your knowledge to the challenge, because then when you've really understood, then you can actually say, oh, I get it. OK, what you're really so is what you're really asking me. You, you, you need us to help you with boom, boom, boom. You know, and it's about really. It's about being curious also about the client's problem, I think, as well, and and almost being being interested in their world. So what is going on in, say, say the shipping sector, if your firm focuses on shipping law, for example, what's going on in their world? What are the challenges from the papers that you see that those types of businesses you're working for are having to deal with day to day? Perhaps it's because they're having to fit fit things on the ship so that they're more environmentally friendly. So that links in some of the expertise you might have in the firm, or perhaps it's about um, some of the regulatory changes that mean, you know, how they how they sort of move goods here, here and there, whatever the issue is. But how do you link it to the client's world, I think, is really important. And also caring about the client succeeding. So also caring that not just about the firm being successful, but about the clients, clients of the firm being successful. So I think being in that client's world is one big bit there about being a being a successful lawyer. And I would say just to take another bucket of, of issues, I would say, there's certainly something about resilience. I know we've talked a, spoken a lot about that the last year or two in, in the world, about everyone needing to be resilient. But, you know, often the client will have a complex problem. So um, keeping at it, being determined to get to help the client get to the bottom of the problem, attention to detail also when you're working with them, being very thorough. So having that depth of analysis and thinking. I remember when I, when I was at PwC and I started doing the client work there. Again, what the partners I was working for were looking for was... They wanted me, they might only want a three line answer of saying, OK, the conclusion is this, but they needed to know that I'd done the depth of thinking and gone down, you know, through the case law or whatever it was, or the EU directives we were we were basing our advice to the client on. So there's something there about depth, I think. So if you're interested in depth, I think that's a good thing for a lawyer. I think also liking new challenges, Caroline, as well. So there's something there around being interested in things you haven't seen before. Because the world is moving, the clients' businesses that you're working for are moving very quickly. So being interested in, in things. And I suppose linked to that is also therefore being interested in stretching yourself and getting outside your comfort zone. And what do I mean by that? It, it's probably, I guess I mean, being interested in new stuff or things you haven't seen before that I just referenced there. So liking doing things that are difficult and actually finding that an inter interesting intellectual challenge, but also then presenting it and being able to present it. So the oral communication skills as well and the written communication skills, a bit in the example I just gave, you know, the client might only need to know, can I do this or can't I do this in my car leasing business or whatever it is. But actually, you need to have done the analysis so that you can give mm -hmm. them that, that, that's, that sort of pithy answer to, to the problem. Um, so there's something there for me about learning and wanting to learn and do something new. And actually, when you speak to the senior partners at law firms, at the big advisory firms as well, 
one of them said to me, they said, if I was saying one thing to a junior person, it would be however senior you get in your career, they said, when I look around me and see that all the people who are still successful in their careers 20 years later, who are those people? They are all the senior people, the partners who are still interested in learning mm. and are still interested in challenging themselves and doing something that's different. Mm. And I think that's something that is never too early to get into that habit, I would say, mm. Caroline. Yeah. And it's interesting when you're at university, you're in that environment all the time. And perhaps it, when you leave, you sort of you almost forget that mindset. But actually, as, as yeah. we both know from working within law uh, ourselves at different firms, it's um, it is something, as you say, that makes those who do often get into the senior roles it makes them stand out from others who Absolutely. that yeah on it that sort of continuous learning um and you know the organizations that you have worked at so pwc simmons and simmons reed smith they are all international organizations mm. and many of our students won't surprise you nigel want to go into work for international sure. organizations in your experience what does working in an international environment actually mean apart from possibly when we can travel again, being able to get on a plane or, <laughs> or a boat or whatever and go elsewhere. What does it actually mean in practice? I think one of the things it means, and I'm going back to a mindset point here, I think it means for me being interested in difference. And what do I mean by that? I mean being interested in different points of view because working internationally means you encounter that myriad of different points of view of, of, of things. And, you know, I'll never forget the first times I went to Greece and the first few weeks and months of being there. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. They look at that completely differently. I've never thought of that before. And, and you know, one of the things I enjoyed when I was at PwC, often the client came to us with problems in the team I was in, the indirect tax team. Often the client's problem was, OK, we've got a global business. What's the answer to this, please, in or can we do this, please, what we're thinking of in 15 different countries? So then I would be on the phone and we'd be working with all the different international offices and, and coming up with a nice little summary report for them all. But one of the things that I think is, are you interested in difference in different points of in different points of view as well? Um, different ways people communicate, different ways people look at a problem, different ways that decisions are made, different ways people look at hierarchy in different cultures as well. So in a way, you're almost going back to almost being the anthropologist here, mm. I, I would say. And um, I'll go back to one of my classics um, heroes. So Herodotus, the father of history, as he's called, who lived in sort of the fifth century BC and famously wrote his histories. Um, he had, you know, the meaning of the word history, istorevo, is actually I learn by inquiry. So there's something there about curiosity. And, and I think that's so true. And he was he traveled around. He was one of the early travelers who collected mm. all these stories from many different cultures. And that was what he called his histories and, and everything. So I think if you're interested in working in an international organization, there's something really important that I'm interested in looking at the world differently. I'm interested in different perspectives and having taken in all that information, I'm absolutely open to adapting my style to get mm. things done as well, because that's something else that the clients are often looking for when they work with international law firms, you know, and they expect you as the advisor to almost work internally across the, across the firm globally to actually, OK, I know I need to adapt when I'm working with this office or that office. So how am I going to do that? So that mindset that there's not one way of doing things. Mm. And I think as I say, that's that's just the way I look at it, Caroline, from all the mm. kind of 30, 30 plus years of, of working in international environments. And it's interesting because when I, I was going to come on to later, I think we'll come to later, you know, things I've taken away. It's interesting how you come back to your interests. I've, mm. I've always found working in international environments a very alive 
feeling mm. it has that feeling of being very and why because i'm always interested in difference you know i remember you know my wife's greek so whenever i pick up the phone to um or you know many years ago when her uh, Thalia's father was alive and i remember picking up the phone sometimes and um and you know chatting with him some evenings and, and he said by the way well why is the british government looking at this like that or why are we why why is this happening do you think mm. and i just thought that's interesting i never thought that before and yeah. so that constant challenge you know when i think back over the 20 or 30 years my network of people that i've known i've always really enjoyed that interaction internationally because i think there is that thing about as i say what for me it means is being interested in difference mm. and being adapt and then being interested in adapting as well yeah I mean, there's no point going into the law if you if you want things to stay the same let's face it so uh, yeah exactly. um yeah exactly i mean and you know you can think from a legal point of view you know obviously there's you know the stuff around common law or civil code and all the different legal systems around the world how do you adapt to get an advice advice for a client on that you know there's inductive versus deductive thinking and the different ways of approaching a problem again that are very ingrained in certain cultures and educational systems so again how does that all work and so again that curiosity and interest in difference Caroline I think is I've always found it makes life more interesting to be honest and um, I've always massively enjoyed it but I do think so I hope I've given a little pen sketch there of almost what it means to me to work in an international environment. You know, when we were on the doing the projects in Turkey all those years ago, it was just fascinating, you know, talking whether they were the local local people, local farmers around where we were working, the local government officials. It was just fascinating talking to them all and, and mm. because you just heard such different points of view about things. Um, and then one of the things I think that's a skill to get from that, having gone broad and been in an international context often, you know, I remember one of the people I worked with previously said to me, oh, Nigel, one thing that you seem, you know, you seem to have a knack for, and I'm sure it's from the international environment aspect, is you, there's, you almost seem to take different disparate bits of information and you can kind of link them and stuff like that. And I think, I think so I, I wonder, looking back, I've never thought this before, actually, Caroline, but I wonder, looking back, if that's because I was used to operating in international environments where you do pick up lots of different bits of information and you have to kind of mould it into a picture yeah. of something meaningful. Yeah. And I think that's a skill that you absolutely can develop from working with a nice global network or in a yeah. global environment. And I think clients value that enormously in the legal sector, as mm. do, you know, the organisations you work for as well. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, and we've touched upon this, but, you know, it's one really important topic to cover, particularly given that you have been in those roles uh, where you have responsibility to respond to changes. Mm. Um, the legal sector seems to be changing rapidly. Um, yeah. There was a lot of talk about it for a long, long time, and now things have really accelerated. We hear a lot about AI, legal tech, etc. So what, what does someone looking to join the sector need to be aware of, would you say? And, and how how is that, how has it changed in your in your in your opinion? Well, I think you've highlighted two things. Two things: there's technology and regulatory change. And after the Legal Services Act came in, you know, probably about 15 years ago now, you know, your and this permission for um, for people to be owners of legal services providers who weren't lawyers and all that changed. Therefore, you had all the tech companies coming in and developing all the tech platforms. You had outside investment and you have some law firms now seeking outside investment on the stock market. Um, but the regulatory change just drove the, a myriad of different players now in the legal services market, which I think is great news, by the way, for all of you listening who are you know undergraduates or graduates planning your career. I think the good news is you'll have so many more different career paths and job opportunities. Mm. 
and therefore skill sets you can bring to bear in the legal sector. So I think it's great news for the next generation coming through. I think, you know, we've hinted at the concept of flexibility before. So I think you need to be flexible in about how you think of what a career might be. Um, so there's the whole thing of um, the new jobs that are happening because the firms are restructuring or because they're in new types of employers. You need to think of, um, you know, OK, a firm is either inventing a new service because that's what they're finding the clients are wanting or they're deciding we won't build that new service the clients have asked for. We will actually partner with one of these technology business, you know, a bit like, you know, some of them like Simmons and Simmons, you know, bought Wavelength Law, a tech company in Cambridge because they wanted that capability. EY, who have loads of lawyers, um, don't think of them perhaps as a legal services, as a law firm, but they're a legal services provider. EY um, sort of acquired Riverview Law. So there are all these acquisitions going on as different service providers think, okay, what do we need to offer to clients and do we best create that within or do we best merge or buy a little company? You know, a bit like for years has gone on in pharmaceuticals where mm. the big companies either bought a biotech or they, you know, or they merge or they had their own R&D department. So how, mm. do you, how do you structure that? So there's something there about structural change in businesses and new services. Clients are looking for value much more as well. I think now that's become so much more transparent in the sense that clients are actually saying to their panel law firms, okay, we expect you to deliver this now, this service for three quarters of the price you've delivered it historically, because we know that's possible from the technology and the efficiencies that are being driven. Now, how you go about that is up to you, whether you mm. create that capability, whether you partner with another service provider. So there's something there about different client demands that are mm. shifting as well. Um, but the regulatory change is really interesting. So in the UK that happened and drove all the things we've just been speaking about, technology, drive for efficiency, more for less demand from the clients, um, firms changing shape, as we've said, and new career paths. Interestingly, a few weeks ago, there was a story that in the in the US, which historically had not moved so quickly from a regulatory point of view, I think it was Arizona was one of the first bars to say, we are now opening up the market as well to, and we're happy to have service providers again, who are not just um, owned by lawyers or mm. the legal partnerships. So that regulatory change is, is becoming much more global as well. And I think the change is just accelerating really, Caroline. Mm. I mean, you just see it, you see it from, as I say, the new types of businesses that are happening. Clients are being increasingly demanding still, they're demanding different services, they're demanding it more efficiently. And that puts the pressure on the service providers to reshape, to reskill, to hire different types of people, to create all these new career paths. I mean, as you say, it's just fascinating at the moment, mm. all, all this change that's going on. I mean, there are a few thoughts that just come to mind. Yeah, and as you said, that, that point there about being a service provider, uh, I sometimes think that people at the early age stage of their career forget that law firms are service providers. They're there Absolutely. to serve the clients. That's how the that's how the lawyers and the professional services teams get paid um, exactly. that, uh, yeah. by, by serving what those clients want and they have to adapt. Um, I'm gonna jump ahead to another question that we had talked about um, previously, but I think it sort of links into what you just said. So I'm really interested in your views on this. Are our careers linear? Well, I think that's a really interesting question for lots of the reasons we've said. I think the way that's changing, Caroline, is that careers some time ago were much more what you might call T-shaped, capital T, if you draw a capital T, where you go up in a straight line, quite linear pathway, and then you might broaden at the top as you got more senior, you got into management, you needed to broaden your skill sets and on your role broadened. I think now what's happening much more is that the careers are much broader from the beginning. You need to adapt, you need to evolve your skill sets much more because you might go into, say, a trainee role and then go into a law firm. You might qualify into a practice group, say the shipping group or something. 
But then perhaps as your career goes along, you see, oh, that's interesting. The firm's developing this technology tool still related to perhaps my practice area, that perhaps I want to go over and work more in the knowledge area and there's a job over there for me for the next year or two. Or perhaps then I want to go and work in one of the industry sector advisory groups we have um, and more the strategies around that. Or you might decide then to, to leave that employer and go in-house or something into an in-house legal team. Again, different skill set, perhaps more broad as a skill set there. So I think careers have gone from being much more linear in their early phases and getting broader later to being much more varied all the way through a career, including right from the beginning, which I think, Caroline, touches back to that whole area of um, how are we open to upskilling ourselves very regularly? Yeah. Because to be relevant and to develop your next career opportunity, boy, are you going to have to adapt and develop your skill set. Again, listen to the clients, what the client's asking for. Oh, that's interesting. I seem to get, we seem to get more requests about there. I wonder if that's a, that's an area I might be interested in moving into in the next two or three years for my career. So again, I'd, I'd keep those antennae out to listen yeah. to what's going on in the market and what requests are coming in from the clients you have in the business. But then I think it's about, you know, your career will become much more varied, I think. Um, you know, they often say, they talk about this almost and say, the half life of your skills is shortening now. Mm. So perhaps a generation ago, we might develop a skill set at the beginning of our career, and that would serve us really well for 30 years. Question now is, is it serving us well for three or four years? And by the way, even during those three or four years, we need to be upskilling ourselves, thinking about almost what we might like to do and seeing how the world's evolving really quickly. And I, for me, Caroline, I think also just, you know, people, I think young, the younger generation, sorry, I'm, I'm the old man here. So <laughs> I, I would say that, you know, the generation coming through, perhaps those of you listening who are thinking about your first job coming up, for example, or looking at where you might like your first job to be. I think there's something there about being a lifelong learner will actually get rid of the problem that people are worried about of saying, oh, will robots come and take all my all of our jobs, especially the early stage jobs, because all of those early tasks can be commoditized, can be yeah. you, you can use technology to do them. Well, yes, you do need to build your expertise on some of those tasks. But then I think if you're open to learning and I think the human skills will always <clears throat> will always be the ones that will continue to endure. So. Mm -hmm. I would say going on to you know careers developing your career focus also as well as the technical development learning development professional i would say this wouldn't i but focus as well as on the technical development focus on building the human side of your skill set some of the stuff we've talked about caroline the communication the interest in working cross borders asking good questions all the things around being interested in an industry sector and, and things like that so communication, develop all of those skills as well. And that's what will set you up for success in your career, I think. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, and I'm sure you've observed this as well, um, even in your current role, um, that law firms in particular have got better at moving people around their organisations. So it's no longer, I don't necessarily want to be a practising lawyer, I want to go do something else, well, maybe there's not a space for you here. We, we we want to retain talent. We want to provide different opportunities. We want Absolutely. to deliver different services. So there is sometimes, I think, well, these days, more opportunities for people within the same organisation, which perhaps a few years ago was more challenging. Um, and you may may have decided you had to go elsewhere. So um, so let's move on to employability then. We, we touched upon that. And uh, mm. as, you, as you know, Nigel, from our previous conversations, we spent a lot of time at King's and Careers helping our students to identify what we call our, our case. So knowledge, mm -hmm. attributes, skills, yeah. experience, particularly what they're gaining from their studies and extracurriculars. So yeah. in your view, what makes a graduate employable? 
Ah, great question. So I would say one aspect here is an ability to apply practically things that you your knowledge and your and what you what you're learning as well. Um, and applying it in a context that's useful to people, whether it's about useful to deliver a service to them, to create something, to be innovative, to build something for them, whatever, whatever, you know, however you can imagine that. But the ability to apply the knowledge and and that's why, as I said, I, I think looking back, Carolyn, I took so much away from when I had to do those practical projects mm -hmm. when I was. Yes, it was using my knowledge and my expertise, and that's what the project was about. But it was all the, the skills around that of, that I said about, you know, how I did the project management, how we met deadlines, how we raised funds, how we managed the team, how we built all the networks and the relationships and everything like that. So I think it's thinking and I think that's a, I think actually, you know, that's a really important frame and mindset. So people used to say to me, um, you know, oh, what do you do? You're, you're a graduate student. What are you doing? You're doing your doctorate. I remember when I was at the British school, you'd have visitors come and I'd say, oh, you know, hello, who are you and what are you doing? So I'd introduce myself. So I'm doing a doctorate at King's and, and everything. And I was and I'm running this project and that's what we're doing. And but the way I often framed it, and I remember actually when I was thinking of my career change at the end of that phase and going into work in the city and and I walked into the career centre and they said, oh, well, what you what can you do? And I described some of the things I've said already there about, you know, the, the, the skills I, I felt I developed. But the frame I always had was, yes, I'm a graduate student running a project, but actually I was almost running my own small enterprise or my yeah. own small business in a way. And I think that's an that's so think about how you frame your experience would be something I would say, especially thinking about the type of employer that you're looking for, because sure, you'll be doing stuff that is academic and has an academic context but there is a frame there of how you apply that in practice i think mm. to um to to wherever you're thinking of applying and you know you'll see on the on the websites of whatever employer you're looking at they'll have their competencies or the strengths that they're interested in people who work mm. there having to to be considered so but think about how you frame your experience because it, it can be academic experience, Caroline, but there's absolutely an application to the real world. And there's almost like a, a frame that, <clears throat> excuse me, that I'm running something here, which is almost encapsulating the academic work, but actually I'm doing something a bit broader than that as well. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, we're coming to the towards the end of our conversation. A couple of final questions for you. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've been given in your life to date, either professionally or personally? Wow. Uh, uh, that's quite hard, isn't it, to boil that down? Well, from from what I've said so far, you might not be surprised to learn that I think my top answer for me in terms of the best bit of advice I was given was go and live abroad. Go and live abroad and experience difference early in your career. And many of the students listening to this will already be international students who, you yeah. know, I appreciate they'll have come from different cultures and they'll experience it. But but boy, did it accelerate my skill set, I think. And I think it helped me develop the the or realize the reason I, you know, that you need to be adaptable, you need to be flexible, that people don't look at stuff in the same way. Mm. I think there are so many benefits. So I think my my advice, if you know, if you haven't had the chance to do it yet, go and try and experience living somewhere. You know, I was lucky enough to spend two years permanently abroad. And then of course worked on projects for a few weeks every year for a number of years. But mm. Go and go and go and gain some experience somewhere different from where you've been and yeah. you've grown up. Yeah. 
final question, and we may well have touched upon it already, but uh, you have worked in different sectors um, mm. and uh, I'm interested to know what you would say to someone who's starting out on their career journey, because there is so much choice. And I think that becomes quite overwhelming sometimes for people at the early stage of their career journeys. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And and so I think if you're listening to this and, and just starting out, I would say follow your interests and follow the things that give you energy, you know, and you'll, and, and you know, and also notice those as well. You know, sometimes we don't reflect enough about those types of things. Notice what gives you energy, whether it's working in a team. I mean, for me, you've probably heard it in my voice, you know, all the periods I spent living abroad or the interest I found in mixing with different groups and things. So what gives you, what do you, what, what are you interested in and what gives you energy? Because Looking back, Caroline, it's interesting. You know, I've done so many things. You know, I started off in classics and archaeology, my anthropology type research on hierarchy, identity, groups, cultural change. Then I moved into the city in the PwC, fee earning work, but I loved the bits around the edges of the job, like the learning and development. So I moved into learning and development for a number of years, and here I am. You know, back in back in the, in the law context still, but in academic law context, um, but linking to business, obviously. If I look back over those thirty years, there are absolutely some themes which come comes through so as i've said i like working with international groups so many of the themes that from my original research groups identity cultural change even though i was looking at them in a very different time context mm -hmm. five thousand years ago when i started reading harvard business review about all the ways they were looking at companies what was it all about groups yeah. identity power cultural change and I, I just thought oh this is quite familiar this is great mm -hmm. so there are themes there that actually i've gravitated towards um, trying to be creative and enjoying being creative, um, liking the psychology almost side of things, which is why I got interested in coaching about how you change behaviour and how you mm. help people um, develop as individuals as well. So admittedly, sometimes you can only do this looking back. But when I look back over those 30 years, it's interesting that there, I think, for me, were some common themes that mm. I got to just by following my interests that when I look back, I think, oh, actually, that's been a theme throughout any job I've done, actually. I've loved being in international environments and all, the, all of the stuff I've said. So I think notice what gives you energy. Notice the themes that are recurring for you. And that's the best way to guide your career, because th there are so many opportunities now, as you said. I think they're so lucky now. You know, everyone coming through now is so lucky because I know it's challenging. I know it's very competitive out there. But the variety of career opportunity, even just in the legal sector, as you said, Caroline, mm. is, you know, there are a myriad of jobs types that didn't exist yeah. 7, 10, 15 years ago that I think make it really, really exciting, which is perhaps a positive way to end this. <laughs> Absolutely. And isn't it interesting how so much of what you've just said goes back to your time at King's and that that's a perfect way to finish yeah. this, this conversation. Um, before I let you go, Nigel, and thank you for your time, I want to remind our listeners that we'll be back soon with a new edition of Let's Talk Law, where we'll gain some more and I'm sure very different insights into life beyond King's. Um, and in the meantime, and on behalf of our listeners, thank you so much, Nigel, for joining me today. It's been oh, wonderful chatting with you and I'm sure that our listeners will take a lot from what you've said. So thank you so much for your time. No problem at all. Absolute pleasure. And um, hope everyone's enjoyed the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much.